So I'm Cody. As you Cody, yes. <laughs> um, I work part time, yeah, casually, up until the pandemic at the moment. Yes. <laughs> so I'm not working at the moment. Um, but I study full time. I study pre medicine, which is technically a fancy word for medical science. Yeah. And I'm in my first year of that, which is good. I love it. Yeah. And how are things? Things are. Things are okay. Things are okay. Things are okay. Things are yeah. Um, so I'll get into kind of the ugly part. Um, so I want to get you to kind of describe your condition or like your illness and its definition, its name, mm-hmm. and yeah. Okay, so my kind of overarching um, diagnosis is anorexia nervosa, um, which I was diagnosed with in 2019, the start of 2019. Right. And basically, it's, I don't know how to describe it. Do I give like a technical definition or is my definition? I think your definition, because it's, I think it would be different for every single yeah, person. True. Like, yeah. Um, well, basically, to be categorized with anorexia, you have a um, fear of food, technically, right. or specific um, food related things. Um, and you lose a lot of your body weight in an effort to main control, maintain control. And I yeah. think that's kind of the core of it is that you want to maintain control. So it's a very control-based illness. Right. It is a mental illness. It's not a physical illness. It has that's, physical yeah. symptoms. Um, but yes, and I also have anxiety and depression, which are like comorbidity. So they yeah. are kind of as a result of the anorexia. Um, so, yeah. Right. And that's, that's the thing because for, for me who, like, I was, I've been struggling with anxiety for I don't even know, I can't even count mm-hmm. how long. And, um, you know, people just define it in this way and that way. For me, it's just like, I think with you it was more, with the anorexia, it was controlling what you do. Yeah. For me, it was more constricting. Like, it, it stopped me from doing anything. Like, it, it, if I had things on my mind and things on my mind, I wouldn't do anything and I would just lay around and not, not yeah. you know, adhere to anything. If you were to describe it to someone who had no idea yeah. what it was like, how would you describe it? Um, it's kind of, can I swear? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember that now. So like, <laughs> it's kind of like having a bitch in the back of your head. Right. <laughs> um, it's very possessive and I feel like when you're in the depths of it, you lose yourself or like you're just completely taken over. Right. Um, for me personally, I suffered, suffered with restriction opposed to like binging and purging. So I would restrict what I was eating heavily not to lose weight but just to maintain that control and I would exercise a lot at the same time to maintain that control and I think that when you have so much going on in your life or so many anxieties in your life and you can just block everything out and condense all your control into like one tiny little micro thing that you can manage which is like food or exercise um everything becomes really simplified and not as overwhelming. Yeah. Um, but I think if I was to describe it, it's basically just like having someone in your head telling you to do all these things. Right. And even though logically, the logic part of you goes, that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Your emotion just always overrides. Right. Yeah. yeah. So like when you take a step back, you can be like, that is so stupid. Like, why didn't I just eat that? And it's whatever. Yeah. But when you're in the moment, like the anxiety of being faced with things that you've taught your brain to fear, um, yeah, just completely takes over. Right, yeah. And it's um, it's this whole thing that, like, the mind, the mind intends to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. In some ways, I think it's like, yeah, it does that for yeah. some situations, but in situations where, um, you know, you overthink and then one thought leads to the next, one thought leads that next and then it just spirals out of control it gets to the point where you're not i mean you can safely say that you weren't really controlling anything it was just it was just yeah. your mind it was just something that was 
that wasn't you that was taking control of everything that you were doing or not doing, really. That's like the paradox of it because yeah. you think you have so much control because you technically are controlling everything you're doing, mm. but something's controlling you. So you're never yeah. in control, but you think you have so much control. Right. But like it's definitely a safety mechanism. Right. Like I just felt like if I was obeying these rules that I had set for myself, then I was doing the right thing and therefore I was safe and nothing could affect me. Yeah. So. Uh, and then, and this is a big thing for a lot of people, like the first time they notice that, they, that they've been struggling, whether it be something they notice physically or something that someone else tells them, when was that first time roughly like when you remember that you first noticed, okay, like I think I have a problem? Um, I would say it wasn't until about six months in, which is a, a long time to be right, in denial. Yeah. <laughs> I think I lived in a bubble of denial and I would um, brush things off as just me being overly healthy or mm. vegan yeah. or <laughs> adopting some anyway. new trend. And I think at first I was spurred on a lot because as I started losing weight, people saw that as a good thing. And at the mm. start, like, I hadn't lost a significant amount and people kind of encouraged me. Right. Um, and I that just reinforced in my head that everything I was believing was good, like had positive ramifications. Right. Um, but probably six months down the track, I was quite underweight and my energy levels were non-existent and I actually collapsed at work and I think that was the point where I realised that maybe something's not quite right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay, fair enough. Um, and was it, did people who noticed that your weight had gone, that you like decreased, mm -hmm. did that help? Did that like placate or did it, you know, work the other way? Um, at the start it definitely like kept me going and make me want to lose even more weight. And like right. I said, at the start, it was never losing weight. But as it progressed and people started noticing things and obviously so, like social norms and stuff like that, mm. being like this thin ideal or people comment on you when you look a certain way. Yeah. Um, at the start, it was all positive reinforcement. But then it got to a point where... I was too underweight and the comments switched. Like it went from being, oh, my God, you look amazing to, oh, my God, you look sick. Uh, and it's just like, what, like, what, where did I mess up? Yeah. Like, what, yeah, right. And that was kind of, that would have been like around the tipping point that I went, maybe something is wrong. But it wasn't until that point that I, that, that I realised anything was up. Right. Like what's the effect that other people have on your own health? Like what's that? What was that to you? Like, what was the effect that other people had? Negative, positive? Um, you know, it's funny. I remember I used to go to this um, coffee shop before work every single day. Right. I worked like five days a week. And that was kind of like my marker of progression. Like, I went in one day and I was like really good friends with all the roasters. And then a few weeks later, it was, oh my goodness, like, you look insane. Like, you look so much better. Um, and then it was five weeks down the track. It was, oh, my God, you look so good. Like, every time I go back there, I would just be positively reinforced. Yeah, yeah. And before I was never unhappy with my weight, I don't think I was ever overweight. I just looked completely normal. Mm. Um, but, yeah, as you start fitting this, like, standard of what things should look like. Yeah. People are like bound to comment on it. Yeah. Um, I had people ask me what I was doing, like in terms of in a positive way, being like, oh, like, what oh, diet are you on? Right. Like, yeah. what exercise are you now doing? And I would just lie through my teeth and right. say that I was vegan. <laughs> but I was exercising and I was just adopting a more healthy lifestyle. Right. Yeah. Um, but when it got to the stage that um, people started commenting negatively about the way I looked. Mm. I was so in denial because um, kind of as part of anorexia nervosa, you do have these like dysmorphic views about yourself 
And it's not in the way that you like look in a mirror and think, oh my God, I'm so fat. Yeah. Like kind of how they make out in movies and things like that. Yeah. You just think you look normal or you look like you always have. Right. Um, and so I'd look in the mirror and I'd be like, I look completely fine. Whereas mm. people would be telling me that I look like I'm dying. Right. And like even to this day, I still battle with that a mm. lot. And that's like the biggest challenge in terms of other people is when other people comment on your weight directly to you. Yeah, yeah. And that's like a double-edged sword because they can be, they can come across as supportive, but mm. really they're like, oh, you know, you weren't like, like it's a good change. As yeah, in, exactly. As in, you know, oh yeah, you're doing well, you're not, you're not doing well. Like, they don't really, I mean, they don't understand um, you know, the impact that their words have. Yeah. Yes. So when you kind of realized what was going on and that you had these issues, how did you like speak to someone as soon as it happened or did it take some time for you to, to warm up to that? Um, it did take a little bit of time and at first I was in denial. Even though I accepted that I had these issues, I was still in denial about it and I was Google searching every other disease or right. illness that it could be. So I thought, oh, maybe I'm just iron deficient. Maybe uh, my thyroid's not working. Maybe I'm low in this, 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 and this. So I had a plethora of all these kind of excuses of what I could um, justify what was happening yeah. onto. And whenever I was confronted by other people, such as my friends, I would just blame it on one of these issues. I would just say, yeah. Yeah, I think I have this. Um, it wasn't until one of my friends drove me to a medical center and said, you're getting a blood test done, like we oh, need to know what's going on, Yeah. Um, that things started to kind of come out. Yeah. And funnily enough, I got my blood test back and everything I did think that was wrong was wrong. Right. But all of those were just causes of, um, all of those were just as a result of the anorexia. So yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, but it did, it took a really long time for me to seek help. Right. And with with body image as a whole, mm -hmm. social media plays like a huge role for a lot of people. Yeah. And there's this standard that's out there for for women and men. I think it's more it's definitely more controlling for women because you know, there are so many models out there who have mm -hmm. this whatever like this insane 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 figure. Yeah. And Many of them suffer from that as well. So how does how has that how does social media play a role? Is it helped or is it you know? Um, I think for me specifically, it wasn't a factor at all. Right. But okay. I've I I guess that's probably one of the not misconceptions but assumed ideas is that um the the thin ideal is like stemmed from what you see on social media and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I think even more than that, like, it's just, it's in society. Like, it's just what people mm. just assume. And it wasn't until, like, I went into treatment and I've spoken to a lot of other people, I, I realised how drastic that impact has been on a lot of other people. Mm. I think I'm lucky that it didn't really affect me and I haven't really been um, too faced by anyone else. Yeah. But, no, it hasn't massive impact on a lot of people and even if it doesn't lead you to developing like an eating disorder you can still have disordered habits and um traits yeah because of that so mm. yeah <laughs> i think i've never i think i've had that um issue but i think i've had the issue where originally i wanted to be like this big afl yeah, that was like my whole thing. I was I was training so much and I wasn't growing, which was which was very frustrating. And with this, you know, I started to eat a lot more and then when I ate a lot more I didn't for some reason I didn't feel like I hadn't much energy and then I started to put on a bit of weight bit mm -hmm. of weight and then I started to notice that it was affecting me when playing, which was like the one thing I didn't want yeah. to happen. Um, and there was, you know, when I see other kids around me who were like, who were growing quicker, more physical, taller, um, it was that, like, that had an effect on me. But I think just as time went on, I, it was more of a subconscious thing. 
which is, I think is pretty lucky that I've yeah. just gone to the point where okay, I'm, I'm happy with where I am. And with some people, it isn't, I guess, like that. Um, so I'll talk about the kind of the lowest moment or like the scariest moment that you experienced with this whole um, ordeal. Mm. Um, there's been a few. Yeah. Um, probably maybe about a year ago, I, I wasn't necessarily at my lowest weight. I don't think that my lowest mental point even correlated with my lowest weight. Um, but it was probably before, no, it was probably after I had been a few months into seeking treatment and having to talk about what was going on. Yeah. Um, I had dropped out of uni because I was too ill and way too fatigued to even attend. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't satisfied with what I was doing. No. Um, I had quit my job because I was continuously passing out, so my boss no. didn't want me to work anymore. No. Um, and I had pretty much socially isolated myself, so I stopped seeing my friends and I stopped interacting with people because every time I saw people, I just assumed that they were going to comment and mm. I just didn't want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. So I completely socially isolated myself and that was probably the lowest point mentally. I was just like very stuck in my own head. I spent all my time at home mm. um, and a lot of it asleep. And right. I think that was just so draining. Like mentally, that was so fatiguing, just not having anyone to talk to or mm. any purpose, like nothing to do. I had right. nothing. Um, that was definitely one of my significantly low points. Right, yeah. Um, but probably my lowest, my, another one, yeah. is when I went into hospital. Yeah. That was probably the first thing that made me realise that things were not good and um, I felt very trapped and I think that that was really bad for my mental health, just yeah. the feeling of like no one's letting me make my own decisions and mm. you just, all your control is taken away from you. Right. So, yeah. And it was, can you like, do you look back and realise that they were like, they, they were they, even though to you at that time there was like controlling you but they were trying to like help and trying to get you out of that cycle yeah definitely um i i think as time went on i've learned to accept that more but 100 percent in the at the time i just thought they're treating me like a child they're not giving me um any freedom yeah. and why should someone else be making my decisions but if it was left to me, I would have just continued declining until pretty much I died. Like I, right, yeah. I would not have been able to get myself out of it without someone having stepped in and made those decisions for me because I was not capable of making such big decisions for my health at the yeah. time period. Right. Um, now, Cody has um, submitted a like a blog, which will go onto a, a voluntary submission section on the website. And I just want to go through a couple of things that I noticed in there. So this, this kind of chase for perfection, how did that, how did that work for you? How does that, how has that changed, I guess, now, kind of looking back in hindsight? Um, I think that perfectionism is, if, if you speak to people who have suffered from eating disorders, a lot of them will say that they're inherently perfectionist. Yeah. Um, I think, my perfectionism definitely developed in school. Right. I'm a very type A personality. I'm very organised mm. to the point where it's just stupid. Yeah. Um, I'm very hard on myself and quite stubborn and nothing is good enough unless it's perfect. And I think that that being part of my personality was definitely a catalyst, not a cause, but definitely a catalyst to things becoming as bad as they got um, and it's certainly been the one thing that I think has maintained my illness right. which is why like I still to this day struggle is because I still have those perfectionism traits that tell me that I'm not doing the right thing or not doing 
think good enough. Yeah, so the the misconception that you you talk about in the blog, like this desire to be thin. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you know what's the, like address it like what's the um what's the word for it? I think like what what, what was the misconception and what was the reality? Um, I think that it's. Eating disorders have been portrayed a lot in society and even on social media, eating disorders eating disorders are portrayed all the time as this. Even in movies, like you look and it's it's some young white adolescent who is um, dissatisfied with the way they look because there's some beautiful girl in high school that's really slim and so they obsess over the way they look and they go on Instagram and they look through all these um, photos of really thin models who Mm. have this perfect body type. And I think that that's how society's assumed that um, eating disorders start. Like you have a girl who wants to lose weight Mm. and that's what sets up all these other behaviours, which isn't really how it works at all. Mm. I would say pretty much 0% of the time, or, well, I've never come across anyone who, if that's how it started. Usually someone has something underlying or some issues that they're dissatisfied with, whether they're perfectionists or they are suffering from depression or anxiety or they've had traumatic experiences in their past and they feel like they have a lack of control or autonomy over their life and their situation. And... That's kind of the core reason that an eating disorder starts is because you want to control something and they also numb you. Like if you are only focusing on your food, then you don't have to worry about anything else. You don't have to worry about going to uni or work or anything. So you're just completely emotionally numb to the rest of the world. But I think as things progress and a lot of, especially in restrictive eating disorders, a lot of treatment is based on weight restoration and um, being weighed that weight and body, like the way you look, becomes spurred on by um, like having to engage in kind of body type therapies in a way. Like you are constantly... Reminded of how you look from other people, yeah. you're constantly being weighed, mm. um, and people are telling you that you need to gain weight. And sometimes when you're super stubborn and perfectionistic, you think that you have to kind of disobey what other people are saying. Yeah, and so you don't want to gain weight. So then I think, like obviously in some people's cases, I'm sure that with like the thin ideal is what has affected them. Yeah. But a lot of the time, it's not. Well, at least for me, it definitely wasn't. Yeah, and it becomes like a like a battle. Mm-hmm. But you shouldn't be you shouldn't be fighting, but it's it's something that I think other people wouldn't understand unless they went through it. And yeah. They can and they they realize that they're stuck in that. So you talk about in the blog that um, life at home wasn't always always great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess like elaborate on that and how it was. Yeah, so I had a bit of a rough upbringing. Yeah. Um, it was very dysfunctional and my family situation was um, quite difficult. I think as a child I went through a lot of unaddressed emotional abuse that persisted right up until I until now. Yeah. Um, but I pretty much from the get-go learned really unhealthy coping mechanisms because no one taught me how to address the way I was feeling because it was just pretend that none of that's happening and don't say anything about it. Mm. Um, So at the beginning, I think I grew up learning that what was going on at home was just what was normal. And it wasn't until I got to my teens that, I started to really realise that, no, this is not how other people live. Mm. And that's kind of where the traits of, like, stubbornness and real um, perfectionism kind of embedded themselves. Yeah. I kind of did everything in spite of my family and my situation. 
and I became um, really severely depressed yeah. and really severely anxious, and I didn't know it. So I just continued to bottle things up for a really long time. Right. And that's kind of how it manifested in my eating. It was just another way to numb out all those emotions so that I could distract from them and avoid them and not have to deal with them. I have to address them a little. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And your time, you went to a private facility for how long? I was there for five weeks last December and then last November, December, and then eight weeks at the start of the year. Okay. Um, and you mentioned using like medication and how you were on that, you know, like a lot. Mm-hmm. Was that, would you like recommend that for people or was that just something like a short term? 100% recommend. Right. 100%. Yeah. Um, I honestly think that obviously like talking to a GP or a psychiatrist or someone specialized in the area because there are so many different types of medications. And they have so many different types of effects. Um, so definitely getting professional advice on that. But I think medication has pretty much saved my life. Um, when I was so severely depressed, as I spoke about before, and not leaving the house, it wasn't until I went on an antidepressant that I slowly started to notice my mood to shift and mm. I started engaging more with people. Um, and I'm still taking medication to this day and I don't think that I'll stop until I know that I'm confident to take on things around me without needing that support yeah so that's the thing it's it's, you have it there as an option Mm. until you're more comfortable with the real world and and you can and you're empowered enough to be like okay then I can you know I can form my own happiness and and um you know bring about my own security yeah for sure and it's like it's a support mechanism when yeah, it comes down course. to it. Yeah. Like it's just aiding you and it's one type of thing that could give you some beneficial effects. And I know that I actually changed the time that I realized that it really was working was when I changed medications that I was on in hospital. Mm. And in doing that you have to completely come off one, take a break and then go on another. Yeah. And that break was like an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. It was so bad. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's been really beneficial. And with the people you said, like, there was 23 people that you were with yes. in there. Have you, like, kept in touch with them at all? Yeah, I have. That's good. So I was on a specialised eating disorder unit. So there was um, 23 beds, boys and girls. Just want to put that out there. <laughs> That's very true. Though. All age ranges. Yeah. Um, I think the youngest was, like, 15 and the eldest was 7. Right. So... It affects everyone. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, obviously some of the people I met in there were um, not beneficial to me getting better, but a lot of the people I met are completely my strengths even to this day, and I think it's just because they get it. Like, they get mm. why you're crying over an apple. Like, it doesn't Yeah, no, honestly, yeah, yeah. And they've also been with you through, like, really – horrific times that no one else has really experienced yeah so that's probably the best thing that i got out of treatment is just meeting people who get it and are supportive yeah it's good and i think it'd be good to see down the track how all of you progress mm-hmm. you know because i fairly believe that every everyone that goes through something will come out stronger in the end it's just it's just the way yeah it's just the way it works if you're, if you're committed to um to put the effort in and, and, and to cry about it a bit because yeah. that's that's pretty – it's actually pretty good to do, I've found. It is. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Um, and I think because those – those well, – no, those yeah. – <laughs> the, the people you were with, yeah. they definitely – they suffered from anxiety Yeah. Um, with this. And I think it's good to have people who understand – what that space is like I've tried to um describe it to some of my mates and people who are every everyone gets anxiety but yeah. who aren't constantly going through it yeah and it's hard to it's hard to describe so we have someone who you know you don't have to talk to about it in that way it's just comforting and you know you feel like you're you know building stronger against it 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Right, so we'll get to the third and last part, which is, I think it's a good part, and I think it's the most important part of everything yeah. that we're trying to do with the project and and mental health in its in itself is learning how to fight it and and um, learning to be empowered in in whatever you're dealing with. Um, so I guess first one would be. Like therapeutic activities, what are the different things that um, you've been instructed to do or things that you just do in general um, that help with everything? It could be meeting with friends, it could be some sort of form of exercise, it could be whatever that might be. Um, you know, what are those for you? Um, well, I do a lot of therapy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's good to get it out. Yes, yeah, really, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I have a lot of different specialists who are involved with my care. So in terms of like specialized treatment i have a psychiatrist a psychologist my gp and a dietitian who i see weekly um and that's really good once you find the right people and i emphasize that like find the right people mm. there's a lot of different psychologists out there you're not going to gel with all of them i think i've been through eight um <laughs> so but now i love mine yeah, that's good that's good um, trial error, exactly yeah. and these are people that you're going to be telling like your innermost thoughts to so mm. Someone you're comfortable with and that you trust mm. and that is specialised in what you're dealing with is also something I'd recommend. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in terms of specialised treatment, that has helped me tremendously, learning skills and things I can do when I feel really anxious or when I want to engage in, like, bad thoughts or mm. anything like that. Like, learning practical skills has been really helpful and just... Yeah talking with four different people who know my situation four times a week. Right. It gets a lot, but it's good yeah. at the same time. Um, and then terms, in terms of my own like therapeutic activities and skills, definitely seeing your friends is like my number one thing. It's huge, yeah. I can't even think back to the time when I didn't see people and it was quite a long period that I isolated myself, but now... I make sure that I see someone once a day if I yeah. can or talk to someone on the phone once a day and just keep in contact with others, um, especially very supportive friends. I think that you just you need to find people that you trust and you want to be around and who really care about you. Yeah. Um, and I think going through something like anxiety or any disorder and opening up to your friends, it really does show you which ones are mm. truly supportive. Yeah. And who truly, like, want to be there for you. Yeah. And I think I found that in hospital. Like, the people, I mean, I was in hospital an hour and a half away from where I live. Right. And the people who made an effort to come and see me, like, twice a week, like, mm. trek it all that way there. Yeah. Like, that's a massive commitment. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, get some good friends. I think mindful walking. Mindful. I highlight mindful walking. Yeah. Um, Not compulsive walking, but just... If you suffer from, like, exercise addiction or an eating disorder, make sure that you're doing things in line with what your medical team say. But yeah, yeah, even, right. like, 15 minutes a day, like, a walk around the block has been so good for me. Just, like, listening to music and yeah. distracting myself has been really beneficial. So, right. yeah. And with one of those, like, therapeutic activities and, and seeing friends mm -hmm. and you talk about seeing the experts, like, talk to them like four times a week, yeah. right? I think that's great because if I, I I went to therapy like four or five years ago mm. and I would talk to him like once a week mm. and I would talk to him and everything that had bottled up kind of just dissipated and I was yeah. feeling great for the next two days and yeah. then I didn't see him for like five days. Yeah. And so everything started to build up and I forgot what he told me mm -hmm. and I didn't really have any strategies or anything i was i was frustrated i was really confused why because I just, I just had this thing, thought that everything was going to be fine once i talked to him once you know it's, it's that following up mm. it's great to speak out and to tell people but it's it's following up and doing it regularly that can it just helps you control everything and if you're saying the same thing every time then you'll, you'll start to have a grasp of, okay, then how can I attack that? Because mm -hmm. that's, that's the same thing that's happening every time. There's, there's, there has to be a way for me to, yeah. to, to get past it. Anyway. And it's a long process too. As mm -hmm. in, like, you can't fix all your problems in one session. Like, it's probably going to take you 
quite a while, but I think (laughs) the the more you like the person you're talking to, the more trust you have in them and the more you're willing to trust in what they say or the skills that they give you, the more benefit you're going to get out of it. And Mm. if you are fortunate enough to have access to um, being able to see a therapist more and you feel like you need to see a therapist more than once a fortnight, then I say go for it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a bit of a side question, but I, I was thinking about, you know, we both left school at the same time. Yes. And we both get into something that we, you know, have some anxiety about mm-hmm. and it's whether what we want to do or not. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this whole idea that you come out of school and you know what you're going to do mm-hmm. and you're, you're supposed to work at the same pace as everyone else. So the second year out of high school, you're supposed to be in the second year of uni. Mm-hmm. The fourth year, you're supposed to be finishing uni and in a job, whatever that yeah. may be. I think for me, what I've learned through I think the past two years is that everyone goes at their own pace mm-hmm. and there's no exact formula for everyone to find their feet in life. Mm-hmm. I think that's just like a big thing I've learned because, you know, I'm going into teaching now, but I might go through and be like, oh, I really don't want to do this. Yeah. And that's fine. Like I'm, I'm 19 years old at the moment. You're 19 as well. Yeah. We're both, you know, finding our feet. And there's so many other people out there who don't know what they want to do. Um, I think the pressures of what other people want you to do just shut that out. It's really just unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you go through something as intense as the HSC, like it's a, it's a mammoth process, um, you are almost expected that the first thing you're going to do with your ATAR is go to uni. Yeah. That's what you do for senior ATAR going to uni. And especially if you are have more of a perfectionist side or you are high achieving or you do really care about your results, um, people around you assume that you're going to get a good mark and you're going to do this. And I think that everyone kind of gets typecasted into the degree that they're going to do. Yeah. And I certainly got hooked on the fact that, yeah, I was really good at school. Yeah. I love school. I'm going to get the best ATAR possible and I'm going to do whatever degree I can get into with the best ATAR possible. Mm. And when I got my ATAR, I remember opening it and being like, oh, Cool. <laughs> awesome. Like I just cool. went through all of that for just this. <laughs> and then yeah, honestly, you will not understand until you look back in hindsight and you're like, why did I put myself through all of that for that moment? Honestly. So underwhelming. It oh, it was. I like I, I wake up and I see my phone and I like I, I was happy with the numbers. Yeah. Cool, but I was just like, okay, cool, cool. What, what happens now? Awesome. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, that's sick. But as soon as I told people what I got, they were like, okay, so law or medicine? And I went, ah, yeah, yeah. oh, right. And then I thought, all right, I'm just going to do law. I'm good at, I did English in high school. I'm going to do law. And then I got so caught up in the fact that finish school, I have to, I have to go to uni. So mm. embarrassing if I don't go straight there. That was me as well. Everyone's like, you tried so hard. If you don't go to uni, then what was the point? Mm. Just. Take a break. <laughs> yeah, honestly. I remember telling one of the nurses in hospital that when I was having a moment, I was like, yeah. I've completely ruined my life. Like, I've um, wasted so much time. And she's like, you do realise that you're 19. Like, yeah. you're still a child, literally. <laughs> like, I thought that I was middle-aged. But yeah. taking a year or two off is literally nothing. Oh, yeah. In, in the three long years run. off is yeah. nothing. In the long run, you'll look back and be like, oh, hell yeah, I... I Got to work three less years. <laughs> yeah. But I, I got to find what I wanted to do. Like exactly. I went on a, a trip um, to New York like before the pandemic. Yes. By the way. <laughs> just as a just as it started actually. Yeah. But it's great, it gives you time to earn some money, mm-hmm. to work different jobs. Yeah. Um and you can really live that that teenage life just for a bit. Yeah. Just for a bit longer. Mm-hmm. You know, don't need a exactly grow up that fast yeah. because once you do find what you want to do, you're just going to grow up anyway. So mm-hmm. it's natural, natural, you're passionate about yeah. it, you're going to be dedicated to it and everything will fall into place. It's just some people know what they want to do from the day they're born mm-hmm. some people just takes a longer time. I think that's just frustrating seeing other people but it takes know. time. But yeah. then people 
go straight into uni and drop out a year before they graduate. Yes. <laughs> which is honestly like, yeah, <laughs> who cares? Okay. Do something else. <laughs> um, so I'll go through advice. So what's like the best advice you've heard from someone and also like the worst advice? That <laughs> <laughs> Shitty advice. Yes, there is a lot of bad advice out there. Um, okay, I think the best advice is probably really cliche, but it's definitely the best advice, is that recovery is not linear. I think mm. that's a really cliche saying, and I hate it when I say it because all the therapists, like, I was in hospital, said it every day. It's just, I think it's the affirmations, you've got to continue to say it. It's so speak important. Into existence. It's not going to be like, and when I say recovery, recovery from anything or even just getting better from anything or trying to live with anything or trying to manage anxiety, it is not going to be like, you go to therapy, you take medication, and from that point onwards, everything is just smooth sailing and perfect. Like, mm. you really have to work at it. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs, but you will get somewhere. It's just like, it's going to go like this a bit. <laughs> it's just, there's no, I think there's no formula, there's no, there's no exact yeah. path. Um, path to be somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that, that's so true. I haven't heard recovery's not linear before, mm. but I just, I, I've always heard that everyone, like there's there's this whole, you know, everyone has it differently, and there's everyone starts a different starting point and finishes at a different finish line. It's just yeah, there's no, there's no reason to think that everything's supposed to go in a straight line. Yeah, and because it just it just won't happen that way. And I think if you recognize that the minute something dips or goes wrong, it's not the end. Like it's yeah. not a failure just because something you've slipped up or something's happened, it doesn't mean that you can't, like, get back again. It's just one part of the line. So, yeah. <laughs> That's fair enough. Um, worst advice. Yeah, I guess worst advice, which is, which ties into, like, the whole stereotypes and the stigmas yeah. that people have. So what's, like, the worst advice that you've had in general? Oh, my God, I've had so much bad advice. <laughs> I don't know. I think for me, I hate hearing this. It's oh. like, don't think about it so much. Oh my god. <laughs> like, okay, okay. Now I have my list of five. I have it now. <laughs> um, so, I, when I, as I said before, it's if you're going through something as specific as an eating disorder, such as anorexia, mm. um, find a therapist slash dietitian that is specialised in the area. Um, that's quite important. I think comments slash advice in general is don't tell someone with a restricting eating disorder to just eat and their problems yeah. will go away. Doesn't usually work like that. Um, don't ask the person if they want to die. I had a dietitian ask me if I wanted to die. She like shook me and was like, do you want to die? I was like, no. Oh, you don't? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's so, a way to go about it, I think. Yeah. Um, right. And probably just don't invalidate someone's feelings, as you were saying. Like, don't tell someone to just get over it mm. or to just ignore it or um, to just put it at the back of their mind for a while yeah. or try and do something else to distract themselves because – that just leads you to bottle things up even more. And there will come a point where it will all come out. But if you deal with things as they come up, it has, like, the impact is much, not as great as it would be if you bottled things up for months and months and months and then exploded. So just don't listen to people when they tell you to ignore things. <laughs> doesn't work like that. That is very true. If there's someone who, I guess, isn't qualified one, mm -hmm. or two isn't concerning of, of how you're feeling. It's just best not to, to yeah. feed into that at all. Yeah. We have, so we have covered this a bit, and Cody does cover it, cover it in her uh, blog, but there's a lot of just false stigmas and stereotypes surrounding mental health, yeah. and then if you dive into it, there's um, you know, anorexia nervosa, which is what um, you, you have and what you've been struggling mm -hmm. with, and also anxiety and depression. So there's different stereotypes that surround them what's the one that like sticks out to you or a couple um well i think if i'm talking about depression which i haven't really touched on that much yeah. but um 
I think that people depressed, like depression in general, is a word that's thrown around a lot, mm. I think. And and it's the same with anxiety. Like people just throw it around a lot that it kind of loses its meaning. Like mm. people kind of need to realise that if you have a clinical diagnosis of depression and anxiety, it's not just, oh, I'm scared of spiders. Oh, mm. I'm, I'm too sad to go out tonight. It's like it is a like it's a mental illness and completely engulfs you and if you're diagnosed with clinical depression it's not just oh i don't want to go out or oh i don't feel like doing this or oh i'm sad it's i don't want to leave my bed for a week because i'm too depressed to even get up it's Mm. i don't want to engage with anyone because i have nothing to say like i think just maybe taking more thought about kind of the way we use some of these expressions oh i totally agree Instead of just going around like, oh, I have anxiety about this. Like, mm. You have an anxiety disorder. <laughs> um, I think, yeah. Well, there's a lot of, like, people who um, throw it around like it's, like it's like hay fever. Like it's yeah, just something that, exactly. it's just like some little thing that they have. Um, and, I mean, for, for a lot of people, more than most, that it is like they they do have it. It's just not it hasn't been clinically yeah. diagnosed, um, and that's something that people need to continually, um, I think, check up when they have been going through different things. Like, is this depression? Is this mm-hmm. is this something else? Um, but yeah, it is a term that is lo- like loosely used. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd also say that. The, um, another misconception, which I did speak about, was that people primarily think that eating disorders affect young white teenagers, yeah. um, which from my own experiences is not true, from statistics is not true, um, and I think just being aware of everyone, I think that in my case it wasn't I, like I, when I was at my lowest weight or when I was at my sickest point, I was not satisfied with how I looked. I did not want to lose any more weight, but yeah. I could not stop mm. my actions. Like I could not stop controlling what I was doing, even though I, like there was no part of me that wanted to lose any more weight. I knew how ill I was, and but I just couldn't stop. Like it was just so consuming. So I think. Knowing that a lot of the time people who are suffering from eating disorders, it's not always about your weight. Mm. It's a mental illness. It's not a physical illness. Mm. Just reinforcing that. <laughs> Which should be definitely like reinforced yeah. um, a lot. Um, a little, actually, a little side question. Mm. When, when you were in this state yeah. and... Of course, you didn't have this desire to be thin. It was just yeah. this thing that was yeah. you know, controlling you. Whenever you were, um, you know, thinking about food, food or there was food in your, your plate, yeah. was there something in your, was it like anxiety in your stomach or was it something that was subconsciously telling you? Like what was the, mm-hmm. the thing that stopped you from eating? Okay. That was yeah. like, what was like the feeling, I guess, the sensation? Um. It's actually really perplexing because not even I quite understand it. And I think it's something that's taking me a long time to get mm. um, because it happened so quickly. Like I I went from kind of, you know, I think before I had a really positive relationship with food. I would never have put myself on a diet. I pretty much ate wide variety of foods and nothing ever stressed me out. Mm. And then all of a sudden I was scared of pretty much everything. Right. Um, I had developed such strong beliefs about the foods that I was eating and became so rigid and obsessed with what was in things and I would spend literally hours and hours reading, like, online material and online studies about what's healthy, what's going to do the best for your body. So I had all these existing beliefs about food that and what was health, what I considered as health, which... Mm. Is bullshit. <laughs> Eating whatever your body tells you you want is what you should be doing. Mm. Um, 
Basically, it would be like having a fear of spiders and being told to sit down and hold a spider in your hands. And that's kind of how I would. Right. So if you imagine your biggest fear and imagine having to hold it or sit in front of it. But I think the problem with food is that it's everywhere. It's not like a spider that you see mm. once a week. It's yeah. breakfast, lunch, dinner, going out with friends. It's social. It's it's absolutely everything. And I kind of first, because when I was at home, I just avoided everything that caused me that anxiety. So when I ate the foods that I deemed that I was allowed to eat, mm. um, I didn't get that anxiety because I was so rigid about what I was eating. Mm. But when I went into hospital and I was given the food and I had to eat it, I had no choice, that was honestly like, someone asking to rip out my eyeballs like it yeah. was the most anxiety provoking experience in my right. entire life i was there just sobbing and crying mm. and like we had a lot of nurses and a lot of support but i would just cry and cry and cry right. which doesn't make any sense right. but it happens <laughs> it happens a lot too. physically i would it would be like i was i would have a panic attack essentially right. yeah especially over things that i hadn't eaten in a really long time or that i had deemed i wasn't yeah, I think that's a good analogy talking about your biggest fear holding in your hand and, and just having it there for you. I think, that, I think that's a really good analogy to use. What would you tell your younger self, you know, back a year ago, whatever it may be, yeah. um, knowing what you know now and being at the position you're at now? Um, I would probably say to seek help and support the minute I noticed that something wasn't right and kind of no matter how insignificant you may feel it is, if you aren't feeling like yourself or you feel like something is up, then you should seek support, whether you're at school and you want to talk to a teacher, whether it's one of your friends or, you know, you're one of your parents. Like I think it's really important to discuss whatever you're feeling, no matter how, like, mm. stupid you may feel it yeah. is. And I would probably say that to, like, my young, young self is that um, that's what I need to do. Mm. But in terms of myself a year ago, um, I'd probably say to accept help from others and yeah. be more trusting of people's um, – of People that you know have your best interests at heart, mm. be trusting that what they tell you is coming from a good place yeah. and that most of the time they know what's best for you. Yeah. And I think just being able to accept help from others and not um, keep thinking that you can do things on your own. Mm, that's true. So, it's like it's not – a lot of times it's not what you – like you don't get what you want to hear, it's what you need to hear. Yeah. You, you take that however way you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but when people have the best, um, you know, have your best interests, yeah. you know, when they're, they're trying to give you some advice, it's just, you know, you, you can't face this mountain alone, I guess. Exactly. And there was a lot of times that I just left decisions up to my GP because I knew I couldn't make anything mm-hmm. or properly make any decisions in my best interest. Um, so what are something, I think just one thing that you are always grateful and that always brings you back to reality and, and makes you just really appreciate life? Can I say yes. something really stupid? Go ahead. My cats. <laughs> you got, hey, you're a cattle. I freaking love my cats. You know what? Both of my cats I got during really bad periods of my life. Yeah. Without telling my parents or anyone I lived with. Right. Don't recommend. <laughs> always do things properly, but. Yeah. I never had a desire to have cats until I got a cat because I just felt like, stuff it, I'm getting a cat. Mm. My cats drag me straight back to reality. Yeah. And I want to make that more broad and say, I think pets in general. Yes, definitely. Or a companion or a friend or whatever you find comfort in, something live and living. Um, I think that's been the most beneficial thing. But I particularly like pets because they don't talk. Yes. So you can just sit there and hug them and they may like resist at first, but 
It's like a little stressful to exactly. have. It's just like it's just good to have them there. Their presence is 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 comforting, and exactly. they're not for them. What they're doing is just thinking about what's happening right now, exactly. and they're just in the moment, and that's like the best part about their whole mindset. And they're just loving what's happening in the moment. And that was when I was in treatment. That was every single day. All I would care about was going home to see my cats, yeah. and I probably sounded like a crazy woman. Because I'd probably cry every morning and be like, I just want to go see my cat. <laughs> yeah. I'll you on that with my dog. <laughs> but I got like, I honestly, being with pets, and, and they teach you this in therapy, so I'm not, I'm not crazy, but no. having pets and companions that, and they, they read your behavior, like they mm. know when you're feeling upset, I just think best thing ever. So, mm. cats, dogs. <laughs> Pets. <laughs> in general. Any, anything. Any fish. sort of Yeah, fish. Any sort of companion. What is something that you know that you can do better on this whole this whole journey? Well. <laughs> For me, you know, what I know I can do better is is learn to this whole focus on yourself thing. Like people mm. use it um, mm. pretty loosely. But folk, what I'd say what I mean when I say focus on myself is is not worry about this whole rat race to yeah. to get to this desired career and all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's about getting good sleep. It's about waking up and getting some form of exercise in and eating good food, not junk food, um, getting a swim involved in part of my day, um, getting some reading involved, a lot of things. There's so many things that I could list, but it's just about doing a couple of them, picking one of them mm-hmm. out on a day, and say, okay, I'm going to do these things because I know they help me. I know they're healthy. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, that's the main thing I know I can do better is just focus on myself and yeah. start, you know, um, self-care. I think that's the, the main word. Mm. Yeah. I think that I can probably, kind of like yours, but I think more just take things in the moment yeah. and not pre-worry about things that haven't happened. Oh, yes. Kind of just accepting <laughs> that things are going to play out the way they're going to play out and you you can only control what you do today. So if you make good decisions for today, they'll have good impacts for the next day and yes, so forth. Yes. But just not getting overwhelmed by future things and just tackling tasks, I guess, or mm. things that come up as they come up and maybe even dealing with things one at a time. Yes, exactly. And just not overwhelming yourself and I think just not getting ahead of yourself because I'm a free warrior. Yes. So just learning to be like, this is what I have to do today and that's enough for today. Yeah. That's real. <laughs> you can be good advice here. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm thinking what else I can say. I'm like, <laughs> I was like going into this, I'm like, okay, I want to put across different things. Well, you've done really well. All right. Best advice from yourself. Straight up. <laughs> oh, shit. I feel like this is so broad. Yeah, I know, know. Yeah, I think it's just I mean, whatever whatever comes to mind, I think. Best advice. I think one thing for me is just take your time. There's, there's so much that you're going to be able to experience, but you've got to slow down and, and understand that you've got, you know, another – how many years under your belt yeah. that you have, you know, to enjoy and you have to work and you have to do all these different things. Just worry about the day day ahead of you and just, you know, time heals old wounds. That's that, that saying and it's just mm. take time, really. I feel like the best advice I can give is that shit happens. Yes. <laughs> but I think just knowing that, Shit happens, but it doesn't mean that everything is ruined. No. Just because it's a bad day doesn't mean it's a bad life um, and that things will get better and to accept that there's going to be bad and there's but there's also going to be a lot of good and don't let one thing kind of shape the way you look at the rest of life mm. because one thing might go wrong, but it hasn't ruined everything and you can always get better. Yeah. Fix things. Sweet. I feel like I should have better advice. 
No, that's I good. I feel like I've been doing enough therapy ah. to have better than that. <laughs> no, that's good. I've written that down actually in one of in this uh in a uh the reading that I did or like this article. Yeah. Shit happens. Shit happens. Shit happens. <laughs> Have some coffee. Shit happens. <laughs> I think I think it's the main thing. Shit happens. You control what you control. At the end of the day, it's just it's just gonna happen regardless. Mm. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. Is yeah. that cliche? I can't <laughs> it's true though. It is true. Yeah. And then that's the thing. You can say all these things like that are cliche, but the reason why they're cliche because mm. they're continually affirmed and they're they're real and they actually help people yeah the reason why people say it a lot if you find like things that speak to you go on pinterest have a look yeah get on pinterest (laughs) get a look at some quotes and kind of find what speaks to you i am 100 sure you'll find something on there and honestly print them out and stick them everywhere (laughs) or write them down in a book and just look at it every day so that when you're in a bad mindset, you can reflect back on it and be like, this isn't going to last forever. Yeah. You'll wake up tomorrow and things will be different. So Exactly. Yeah. That's sweet. That's, That's it. That. Thanks, Heath, for coming on. I really appreciate it. You did really well. Thank um, you. And thanks for watching. Um, stay tuned for the next one. And I hope you guys have a good day. Bye.